The battle continues at the State House in a session dominated by controversial social issues. From gender identity to the curriculum controversy, we'll hear from House Speaker Todd Houston and talk with Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor. Plus, Senator Todd Young on the tension with Russia and the looming Supreme Court vacancy. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks for joining us. Indiana seeing its hospitalization numbers and COVID case numbers start to decline this week. Same trend nationwide with more signs that were hopefully starting to move past our peak after a brutal January. This is the president deals with the pandemic, the economy, the tensions with Russia and now a Supreme Court vacancy. Today we'll talk about the impact of Justice Breyer's decision to step down this midterm election year. But we start at the State House with a legislative session that's been pretty closely focused on a number of controversial issues, among them the controversy over curriculum, with Indiana educators raising concerns about a bill headed to the Senate that regulates what schools can teach about certain concepts. Kristen Eskow has the latest. A controversial school curriculum bill bans the teaching of certain concepts regarding race, gender, and ethnicity. That includes things that may make students feel discomfort or guilt. It's an unnecessary bill other than if it's really is attempting to stifle a couple of things that educators do. Randy Harrison teaches government at Anderson High School and runs his local teachers union. He finds several provisions in the bill to be problematic, including one that allows families to opt their kids out of certain lessons. It's going to put an extra burden on my lesson planning at the cost of a few who may say I've made their child uncomfortable because I'm teaching the truth about history and I'm going to have to provide an alternative lesson. Several educators in the Indiana House from both parties voted against the bill Wednesday night. Many others in education have also voiced concern. I'm concerned that HB 1134 will prohibit or even excuse educators from engaging in anti-racist pedagogy or critical conversations about race. Erica Buchanan Rivera serves as Director of Equity and Inclusion for Washington Township Schools. She believes this bill would take schools in the wrong direction. We need to create more opportunities for our, our teachers to have those learning experiences and more courageous dialogues about race and other topics relevant to humanity. The bill also requires teachers to post some classroom materials online. Some education groups say they support parent engagement, but worry about the potential impact the bill could have on school staffing if it becomes law. All right, Kristen joins me now here in the studio. Certainly a lot of controversy around this issue. And while it made it through the House this past week, still some questions about whether it can get through the state Senate. Well, that's right. And the bill's future right now is unclear in the Senate, especially after a similar proposal there died in committee after the author made controversial statements about the teaching of Nazism. Now, Thursday, Senator Rod Bray said, quote, we didn't find a way forward on that bill, and I don't know that we will on this one either. But he said the issues are important and that some in his caucus do want to take a fresh look at the bill. Now, we also heard Thursday from House Speaker Todd Houston about a bill that failed to get out of the House dealing with partisan school board elections. The great part about this process is, is that people have a chance to, to, to hear opinions, get different opinions shared with them, and uh, I don't doesn't sound like it had the support to get through the committee. And uh, there was a discussion had about it, and, and uh, we'll see how it looks, you know, years moving forward. You don't, so you don't see anything happening with that? And that uh, it does not appear to be a case that will happen this year. 
Now, on Thursday, we also heard from Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor, who I spoke with one-on-one -on -one about the bill involving school curriculum that's now headed to the Senate. Your reaction to that bill now passing the House heading over to the Senate? Uh, that type of legislation that we've seen all across the country, it's not unique to Indiana, is a response to some items, some things that have been going on in the classroom that people feel makes them uncomfortable. Uh, and unfortunately, we here in Indiana, we grasp onto those things and we bring them to the state of Indiana. You know, I, I can't understand the concept of wanting to censor people in the classroom. That's where children learn. That's where they come up with their objective and, uh, you know, logical making skills that they come up with that we hope children, when they grow up as adults, use those experiences to their benefit. I'm, uh, I'm kind of disappointed that we're going to have this kind of divisive rhetoric now come over to the Senate. Do you think there are enough Republicans who will join Democrats in opposing this and stopping it from moving forward? I hope so. But uh, if it never sees the light of day, that would be the most appropriate way, in my opinion. I mean, children are, are, are hurting. They're, they're struggling right now to deal with the COVID and the, and the restrictions on going to school. There's some kids who are having mental health issues about not being able to be in class with their friends. We need to focus on those type of things. And I really hope that uh, we decide not to put this kind of divisive discussion on the agenda. And that's some of my interview there with State Senator Greg Taylor. Now, in the meantime, lawmakers in the Senate have also advanced a bill that would allow schools and libraries to be prosecuted for books that may be considered harmful to children. That includes books or other items that contain obscenity, violence, or pornography. Right now, those facilities can defend themselves against charges if they argue the material has an educational purpose. But that defense would be removed under this bill. Parents are digging into these books, they're forming their own committees, and they're breaking out and they're searching through all these books and they're uncovering very pornographic material. There are already policies and procedures in place um, to request a reconsideration of materials um, that people might find on our shelves that they don't um, think belong in our collection. That bill now heads to the Senate floor, but there's also some similar language in the House bill we mentioned earlier. All right, so that debate's still playing out, but this week we also saw a heated debate and protest from the LGBT community. That's right, Dan. I was in the chamber for that one. The bill in the House would ban transgender girls from participating in girls' school sports, another proposal causing some controversy this week at the State House. The bill to ban transgender girls from participating in girls' school sports sparking protest in the Indiana State House. The House Education Committee heard several hours of testimony Monday from supporters and opponents. A vote for House Bill 1041 is a vote for my daughters, their teammates. Heather Rubel is a mother of four student athletes who swim. She and other advocates argue the bill ensures fairness in girls' sports. While my girls have earned positions on limited college swim team rosters, their younger teammates may not be as fortunate if biological males continue to be allowed to grab those spots. Opponents argue the bill is unfair to transgender girls. Nathaniel Clawson's nine-year-old daughter is transgender. We just want her to be able to play with her friends and learn the life lessons that come from playing sports. Clawson says his daughter wants to play volleyball. That wouldn't be allowed if the bill becomes law. When we talk about fairness, I, I look at what it's going to take away from my daughter. My daughter is not going to have any of the advantages that they 
are talking about. As the bill's author, Republican State Representative Michelle Davis asked her colleagues to support the bill. Democratic State Representative Ed Delaney questioned why the bill is necessary. We have a large number of biological males playing on female teams in this state? We don't as of yet, but wouldn't it be a tragedy if your granddaughter didn't get to play? After several hours of testimony, the bill passed out of committee, mostly along party lines. Shortly after the vote, a brief protest erupted in the chamber. Now, soon after that chanting started, the crowd did leave peacefully. Now, that was on Monday when the bill made it out of committee. It went to the full House on Thursday, and they voted in favor of the bill, sending it on to the state Senate. All right, we'll see what happens next on all of these bills with lawmakers now reaching that deadline for the halfway point of the session coming up next week. Kristen, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Meantime, some local law enforcement agencies are concerned about a bill that would allow Hoosiers age 18 and up to carry handguns without a permit. It would still prohibit anyone convicted of a felony or deemed mentally unfit from carrying a gun. Some law enforcement officials are worried about how this could impact public safety. Others argue the bill would help Hoosiers defend themselves. We'll keep you posted on that issue as well as we move into the second half of the session. Well, let's turn now to the nation's capital where there was big news this week about the Supreme Court and a new vacancy for President Biden to fill in the coming weeks. That person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. And it's my intention, my intention to announce my decision before the end of February. I have made no choice at this point. Once I select a nominee, I'll ask the Senate to move promptly on my choice. That was President Biden Thursday announcing that Justice Stephen Breyer would be retiring later this year. A lot of reaction already in Washington. Senator Mike Braun said, quote, the far left has been pressuring Justice Breyer to retire so the president could nominate someone more liberal and based on President Biden's alliance with the far left throughout his presidency, Braun says, it's likely they'll get their wish. He goes on to say, quote, I'll consider the president's nominee on the basis of if he or she has demonstrated respect for our Constitution. We also heard from Senator Todd Young in an interview with Fox News. I think we first need to see who the president nominates to this position. Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans have, have demonstrated in recent years uh, that uh, we support faithful constitutionalists. This is a reminder to my constituents and other conservatives uh, out there that elections, particularly Senate elections, where we have to confirm these nominees, have very serious consequences. Of course, this coming year, Senator Todd Young himself is up for re-election. We also heard Senator Young this week in an interview with our Washington bureau sharing his thoughts on the tensions with Russia. Rashad Hudson has the latest on that front. The U.S. and its NATO partners are on high alert as tensions along the Ukraine-Russian border escalate. What we don't want is for further encroachment into Ukraine. Right now, Russia has an estimated 127,000 troops positioned along the Ukraine-Russian border. Creates uh, all sorts of, of geopolitical challenges and it requires the United States and other countries uh, to have to respond. Indiana Republican Senator Todd Young applauds the administration for placing 8,500 U.S. troops on heightened alert because he says the White House should push back on Russia before it invades. But the State Department has argued against advanced sanctions, saying it would cause the U.S. to lose its leverage. Ohio Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown says if Russia invades, the U.S. will make them pay a high cost. The Russians know it, the Ukrainians know it, that, that this will be strong, these sanctions will be strong. Brown says the sanctions would be largely financial. 
Russian banks, Russian businesses, Russian military, and Putin himself and his cronies. In the meantime, a bipartisan congressional delegation is currently traveling to Ukraine amid the tensions. Reporting in Washington, Rashad Hudson. All right, Rashad, thanks. Up next, much more on that Supreme Court vacancy coming just ahead of the midterm election and ahead of what could be a landmark ruling on abortion. See what our panel is saying about that and the latest from the State House. Up next. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel, and Jennifer Wagner-Chartier. Jennifer, congratulations. I'll start with you. A lot to talk about this week. Had a lot of news at the State House, and as we mentioned earlier, a lot of it had to do with some of these controversial social issues and their impact on our schools. That is the case, and I'm guessing, though, if you went around the state and you went to kitchen tables and asked people what they're actually concerned about, you would not find them talking about uh, K-12 curricula. They're probably not talking about uh, transgender athletes in, in K-12 or any of the other things that the General Assembly seems to have prioritized this session. I think you'd find them talking about jobs in the economy, COVID, our recovery, and how they can, uh, how they can improve lives for their, their families. Um, and there's just a huge disconnect between what's happening at the state house and what's happening around the kitchen tables. Let's bring in former state lawmaker Mike Murphy. And Mike, there certainly are a number of other bills that we've mentioned here in recent weeks that, that relate to the economy, tax cuts among them. But some of these divisive or controversial issues do tend to dominate the conversation at the state house, especially in a, in a short session this year. Well, they do. And I think our good friend Abdul said it most presciently a couple of weeks ago. You got to remember, this is the first half of the session. It's the positioning half. And the deadline for filing um, for office is February 4th. And so people are trying to act very, especially strong for their base so they don't get a primary opponent. So let's wait till next week and, and see what happens. But to get to uh, Jennifer's point about what people are talking about, the Hoosiers I talk to every day are really most worried about the Biden inflation that's happened in the past year. That's what's really damaging the economic prospects for Hoosiers. Uh, Robin, your response to that as uh, many of these issues move along at the state level, as Mike just mentioned, um, economically and politically, the, the president struggling here in, in recent months in terms of his approval rating. Well, his approval rating in the most recent poll is, is pretty high that I read this morning. Also, our unemployment is, is like 2.7 percent, the lowest numbers that we've had in, in decades. So our economy, people are going back to work in spite of COVID, in spite of all the things that we're dealing with. In the State House, you know, Mike is right. Everybody got the Glenn Yonkin memo about Virginia and how to win, and they're trying to replicate it here. But we'll see what happens after the filing deadline, after we see who they have as opponents. And also, some of the state senators are not actually in favor of some of the efforts made by the House. So we'll see how this all comes out. All right, we'll see what happens. Let's, let's talk about the Supreme Court here, Tony. We heard from Senator Young earlier. No doubt Republicans and Democrats will look to make the court uh, something of a galvanizing issue this midterm election year. Well, I think uh, the liberal uh, Biden administration, the liberal progressives that are controlling the administration have, have done their part there. They forced out Justice Breyer. Um, uh, the, the news came without his uh, a statement on it. Um, and, and that's being done so they can, uh, you know, politicize uh, this process. I'd like to go back because I was prepared to talk about the other issues. There's a Marxist agenda that's sweeping or trying to sweep across this country. And as far as kitchen table issues, 
People are talking about how crazy everything is with inflation, like Mike said, with what's happening at the border, with crime, with the weakness in our foreign policy uh, following the Afghanistan debacle of, of the withdrawal. And you're seeing that in state houses played, played out now with CRT, uh, critical race theory, and uh, other issues. And Republicans are standing up as well they should be to this political ideology that is spreading and it is spreading not not in every school and not in every classroom but there are very progressive uh, uh, teachers following a Marxist ideology that is trying to influence that that are trying to influence our kids uh, and that's wrong and that's why parents are standing up and that's why you see this not where, just in Indiana where, but across where, the country where does uh, all of that put us here in this midterm election year Jennifer uh, you know, we mentioned the Supreme Court. Obviously, this is a year where no doubt the, the court's upcoming ruling on abortion will also be pivotal in, in so many respects. It will be, but I think, you know, despite uh, Tony's blustering there, um, we're still going to have only three liberals on the court. Um, so whatever happens, whether, you know, Breyer is a part of this uh, opinion that is likely to come out over the summer or not, there's still six conservatives and three liberals. So I think whatever's going to happen there uh, may actually not have anything to do in reality with who gets picked for the court. Um, of course, reality and politics are often very, very far apart. And this is a midterm year. So I expect to see lots of bluster about abortion and, 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 you know, CRT, which is not actually being taught in our classrooms, but I love that the right wing has made it a, a bogeyman. Um, I think none of this is going to go away. It's going to be a really divisive year. And Mike, uh, on this point of abortion in the court, we saw a number of pro-life rallies over this last weekend, then again Monday at the State House. Uh, does this court appear poised to overturn Roe? Well, I think there's the potential there. I mean, you know, most uh, right to life folks have been working toward that since 1973. I think eventually it'll be successful. I don't know if it'll be this year or not, but I, I tell you, I also want to remind you folks, there is an opening coming up for the state Supreme Court as well, which there's going to be at least 30 to 35 people apply for that. I hope uh, we're able to move that to a more conservative court than it is right now. Um, and, and we'll see whether the U.S. Supreme Court uh, machinations uh, filter down to the state Supreme Court considerations. I have no idea, but it's, you know, the state Supreme Court has a tremendous impact on our lives here in Indiana. And speaking of the Supreme Court and the impact here on the state of Indiana, Robin, you've had some state lawmakers already saying that they could potentially be ready to act on abortion legislation here in Indiana if the court does make a significant ruling. Well, let's not leave the U.S. Supreme Court discussion for a second. I mean, we approved Amy, Amy Barrett in less time than it takes to get your license from BMV in the mail. I mean, so we ran that through fairly quickly. We are going to put forth somebody that's going to be an outstanding jurist uh, to be considered. And the president has every right to nominate whomever he wants, and it's up to the Senate to confirm them. Back to the State House, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have all kind of craziness go on between now and the final parts of this session. Tony, uh, back, back to the Supreme Court here. Could the president have a, a difficult time getting the Senate to confirm his choice? It is an election year. It's a 50-50 Senate. Certainly, we've seen both parties uh, doing whatever it takes uh, to try and block Supreme Court nominees in recent years, stemming from uh, Mitch McConnell's choice to block Merrick Garland. I think it depends on the qualifications. If the, uh, if the nominee is well qualified, then obviously that makes it easier. But if it's somebody with a, that's strictly chosen because of their progressive uh, leanings and, and progressive ideology, then you're going to see pushback, and rightly so, from 
Republicans. And then I think Democrats are expecting that and want that, and they're going to politicize it and use it um, as campaign fodder for the 22 uh, elections in okay. November. All right. Our thanks to the panel. They'll be back for winners and losers at the end of the program. Coming up next, the latest on voting legislation being debated at the State House, what it could mean in a state that's already lagging behind when it comes to voter participation. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. State lawmakers dealing with election-related legislation this week that could tighten up restrictions on mail-in voting. It's been a hot topic around the country since the 2020 election. Indiana's voter registration numbers have lagged behind other states in recent years, and some groups behind the Indiana Civic Health Index feel our laws need to change to do more to encourage people to vote. Indiana is consistently ranked among the states with the most restrictive voting laws. This begs the question, shouldn't legislation affecting the conduct of Indiana elections be analyzed through the prism of whether the bill encourages or discourages additional turnout? We've got a link to more of that conversation on our website. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Mike, I'll start with you. Well, two winners this week. First of all, Aaron Freeman, who is courageously attempting to rein in these crazy uh, bail practices in order to make Marion County safe. And also Senator Mike Young, who is working to make sure excluded cities in Marion County like Southport have more say in their own economic development. Robin. Jim Clyburn. I mean, you know, this time about uh, two years ago, everybody had written off Joe Biden. Jim Clyburn saved him in South Carolina. He made a commitment to an African-American woman being on the bench. That's what we're discussed today. Jim Clyburn is my winner this week. Tony. My first winner is our third district congressman, Jim Banks. I got to hear him speak earlier this week. He leads the Republican Study Committee, a, a group that's focused on uh, conservative uh, principled legislative agenda. My second winner is my son, Noah. He uh, turns 13 this weekend. He's a big teenager now. Hey, happy birthday, Noah. How about that? Jennifer? Mine's real quick. I'm really heartened to see the uh, COVID numbers finally yeah. going down. It seems like we're coming out of the uh, this Omicron spike. But please, please, please still go out and get vaccinated if you haven't been. All right, that's where we'll leave things this week. We'll see you again on next week's edition of In Focus.